everyone. Welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G. We are here with David Fluker of Fluker Farms. And we are going to be learning a little bit more about cricket farming, the process behind it, his business, how he got started, and also some more realms of entrepreneurship and just all kinds of creative ways to get a business going. And before we do that, big shout out to our wonderful sponsors, Valaya Real Estate and Government Taco. And without further ado, David, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you on. We're in a, a new environment. We're here at Sandbar in False River, which I've never actually been here before, but I like the vibe. It's a cool vibe. It's a good place. It's a, it's a nice little vibe, a little friendly, little bar atmosphere right on the water. So I like it. Yeah, some good drinks and some good food. Oh, yeah. I'm curious what the, the, the run shot challenge is. It's intriguing me. So I'll have to come back and try it. That's a lot of <laughs> shots. So good luck with that. So who are you, man? Who is David Fluker? Uh, I am a second generation cricket farmer. Um, I grew up in Baton Rouge. Um, and, uh, you know, we're hoping that there's going to be a third generation cricket farm or, you know, bug farm. Uh, I've never seen the world of insects uh, exploding like I have in the last five years or so. So it's crazy. It's a very good time to be a bug farmer. Okay. So how does one get involved with cricket farming i mean or i guess why cricket farming sure so um way back in the 50s um my father was visiting a friend up in georgia and uh and this friend uh was growing crickets to to sell to the local fishermen as a fish bait so uh you know my dad came back and told my mom that he was going to quit his good steady paying plant job and try to grow crickets to sell to the fishermen and somehow she said, okay. And, um, you know, many years later, um, you know, we have flukers today. Um, when my, my father um, decided to retire when he was about 50, I took over at the ripe old age of about 19. Oh, wow. Wait, yeah. you, you took over the, the family business entirely? Took over the family business, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, my mother had passed away. Um, and I think my father kind of realized that he worked his whole life uh, and decided that he was kind of done with it. So uh, at that point in time, I took over. Uh, my sister and I ran it. And um, we were pretty much still just a fish bait operation. We sold crickets to local fishermen. It was seasonal. Um, you know, lots of hard summers. And, uh, you know, as time went on, we started seeing that, that we were selling crickets as a feeder insect. And so we started looking at those different opportunities and we really tried to try to sell more to pet shops, more to zoos and to uh, universities. Um, you know, we've we've sold to such notable universities as Yale, Harvard, Tulane, LSU. Oh, wow. Yeah, we 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 you know, we've sold to Disney World, SeaWorld. Um, for those of you that are close to my age, you may know what Biosphere 2 is. You may not if you're not. Uh, but we sold crickets to Biosphere too. Okay. You know, so lots of notable clients. It's been quite the run. So what were the, what were the universities using the crickets for? So mainly to feed lab animals. Uh, in the in the world of animals, most things uh, eat uh, the insects. So uh, it's very common for for something to eat an insect. Um, you know, like I say, we we sell to the Baton Rouge Zoo, uh, the Audubon Zoo. You know, just you, know, you name it. Uh, even the Honolulu Zoo. The Honolulu Zoo. The Honolulu Zoo. So, you know, lots of lots of different places. Okay, so what is the, the process of actually raising a cricket? How does one raise a cricket? So it's a very short life cycle, which is you know, very unique when you're dealing with a livestock, and we are considered a livestock. Uh, there was a time that I had to reach out to uh, the commissioner of ag here to get us classified as a livestock, but... You know, you know, crickets are a livestock. What were they classified beforehand? Uh, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure why they didn't consider us a livestock, but it had to do with a tax-related issue probably 25 years ago. Uh, and I'm like, man, you got to be kidding me. You know, this is a livestock. So um, if, you, if you grow a feed to feed other animals, that's a livestock. So, um, so crickets have a short life cycle. About five and a half weeks are fully grown. Um, they can lay eggs after that. 
So they'll live for another couple of weeks after they're fully grown, once they're winged. And uh, we will harvest the eggs, then we'll hatch the eggs out, and then we'll redistribute little tiny crickets that are the size of an ant and grow them back out. And it's a complete cycle. Okay. So, so think of several cycles happening each week to where we're constantly hatching out crickets, we're constantly redistributing small baby crickets and growing them back out. And uh, within the feeder insect world, you know, people may want uh, tiny crickets, they may want full grown crickets, they may, may want uh, half grown crickets. So we're constantly selling different sizes of crickets and we're always keeping enough to keep our life cycle going. Okay, so it's just a con, you, you're, you reach that state where it's just a constant, every day you're doing one of the cycles all the time. Every day we're pulling a, a cricket that was you know, put out at some time several weeks back. Okay. It's, it's just a constant cycle. Wow. So what was it like taking over a family business at 19? I mean, to, to some people, well, scratch that. To most people, that's yeah. scary. Uh, it was different, but I, I, I will say this, that I can trace my, my first paycheck. I'm not sure when he started working me, but at age uh, 11, I could, I could trace my Social Security back. And at that time, it was pretty much a 46-hour week because, you know, the laws for former kids are different and probably didn't uh, exist back then anyway. Uh, but, you know, when, you're, when you have a crop and you're a farmer, you know, the laws are somewhat different. Uh, so that I do know that I did enjoy uh, school more than I did summer. <laughs> it was uh, less work uh, and, you know, less hours. So, uh, but running, running a company at uh, 19 was a bit different. Um, you know, firing people uh, to hire people, it was, it was a bit stressful. Uh, I think we were about maybe 10 or 12 people strong back then. And fast forward today, we're probably about 120 people. Wow. That's significant growth right there. I mean, that's it's from, from a night, especially from a 19 year old. I mean, any 19 year old coming and running a business, you're going to have some pushback from the older employees. You know, it's hard to hear a 19 year old tell you how to do your job, right? Yeah. Especially from like a family dynamic. Was there any pushback from the workers saying, oh, the son just kind of walked in and took over the company or were they more supportive than that? They were fairly supportive. Um, you know, it wasn't a huge issue with a small work, workforce like that. Uh, it wasn't terrible. So That's good. I, my, my fear for family businesses, in particular, is when they do have that younger family member step into a higher role when you've got someone else that's been there for a decade. You know, they can get a little resentment like, well, they've only been here for four or five years and now they're taking over the company. And they always kind of feel maybe a little, you know, overlooked sometimes. So I'm glad to hear that was not the case. Yeah. And if, you, if you think of the farm, it was more of an ag venture. And you really had like one guy running it, which would have been my father. So there wasn't like a lot of other people doing other things besides my father gotcha. and, and my mother at the time. So Gotcha. So you, you're 19, you take over the business. Does that become your full-time job? Did you go to a university or was it just straight uh, into I was the going to LSU. I was a... Um, a junior in uh, electrical engineering with a computer science option. Uh, I dropped out. You know, my mom had just passed away too, so it wasn't just because of the, the you know, the farm. But it was, it was it, you know, it was a very stressful time for me. Uh, I did go back and graduated in 1989, and I'm going to give the uh, the College of General Studies credit uh, <laughs> because uh, at that time. They let me count my dead computer language as my foreign language. I took Fortran, which is a, you know, a dead uh, computer language now. Okay. But they let me count that as my foreign language. And so basically, uh, everything that I ever took was included in my in my college credits, which I was all for. That's awesome. So yeah. So they let you come back a couple years later and finish it out. It was a good six. Yeah, I don't know, five or six years later. Yeah, it was a little different. So, so what was the uh, what was the push to go back to school to finish that degree? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm I'm sitting in um, church one night with with my late wife, and uh, it, it was at Christ the King, which is on campus. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, what am I going to tell my kids as to why that I didn't finish college? I mean, there's just no reason that I can give them. Uh, and I said, you know what? It's it's time to go back and just you know knock out a, a you know, I went part time and did, you know, did nine hours a semester and, and slowly knocked it out. OK, so it was more of a, I want to 
be able to tell my kids, hey, look, I went back and finished it. If they want to go, there's no reason why you can't go back and finish it later. Pretty much. Um, and also, um, you know, sometimes, you know, just being from the state and you go and you go to people in there in uh, Arizona, I go to PetSmart headquarters, I go to Petco, uh, you know, it's just nice to have a college degree. Um, but really, it was more about just telling my kids, hey, dad went and I expect you to go. Seriously. So. Right. I, I, I expect there's no there's no reason why you can't go. Right. That's that's the hope. That's the hope. So you, you, you do all that. How do you get a company from 10 people to 120 people? Um, sadly, I'm a entrepreneur that keeps trying different and different things. So, um, you know, so fast forward to, and time escapes me, so, you know, so some of these timelines may be off. But, you know, we saw feeder insects as, as, as being something, you know, that, that we should pursue. So, so we added mealworms to the lineup. Um, you know, we added different insects as we went along. Uh, sometime in the very early 90s, we decided that, that we would do a reptile farm in Central America. And we actually, for about 15 years, uh, we had Fluker Farms International, which was a reptile farm in El Salvador. Um, so you had, a, you, had, you had a reptile farm in El Salvador? We had a reptile farm in El Salvador. And we talk about family businesses, you know, these are the dynamics that get yeah. a little stressful. So my older brother decided to come back into the business. Um, I mean, he was always there, but you know, mostly just getting a paycheck, not, not you know, doing much beyond that. Right, not the hands-on every day. Not a hands-on, just more of a handout. Um, <laughs> But, um, you know, he, he, he decided to come back and do the business. And we said, hey, let's do a reptile farm in Central America. So, you know, that's what he did. Um, fast forward about 15 years later, and um, we decided to split, you know, to part ways. And so my brother took the company in El Salvador. And, um, and my sister and I retained the company here. But at the same time, while that we're doing this reptile farm, which, you know, we would Shoot, we would send out, I don't know, 200,000 green iguanas in a year. You know, wow. we were using our distribution network uh, at Fluker's because we sold all these pet shops to, to do an add-on for the green iguanas. And so we would bulk ship pre-packaged uh, green iguanas. We would send it air freight, clear, clear one big shipment, and those boxes would be FedEx ready, you know, once you cut the bales and go right into the distribution center of FedEx. So that's kind of how we did the reptile market. Uh, but at the same time, which is, which has really become the biggest part of the business, um, we started doing a dry product line. So think of cricket chow or um, think of uh, iguana food, right? You know, we started doing these reptile cricket related products. Uh, and now you will see the Fluker brand uh, at, at your small mom and pops. Uh, you'll see it at PetSmart, Petco. You'll see it we actually sell to Amazon, um, you know, so we have a pretty pretty wide you know, uh, distribution network, okay. and that, that's the largest part of our business at the moment. Um, Is the dried product line would be the dry product line. So when you look at Flukers today, uh, about eighty uh, percent of our sales are dried products. Oh wow! Um, and twenty percent are insects. I see that, which I'm sure my dry product guys are going to laugh at me, but I'm starting to see. Uh, the interest in uh, feeder insects again, whether it's for feed or for food, uh, food being for the human consumption angle. Um, so the way the human consumption? We currently are not into that market yet. Okay. Uh, we used to do a chocolate covered cricket many years ago when there was shock value in that. There's not a lot of shock value in a, in a, in a chocolate covered cricket now. Uh, but you know, we, we, um, we started doing trade shows, right? And, uh, you know, we wanted something uh, unique to bring people to the trade show. So my father came up with the idea of, uh, of doing chocolate-covered crickets. And, and, you know, we'd have them at the booth. People would come to get one. And I said, well, man, this is, this is cool. You know, we're getting people to the booth. Why don't we give them a button that says, I ate a bug, club, fluker farms, and they can wear it at the show, which will drive more people to the booth. And it did. I mean, it drove a lot of people to the booth. So I said, you know what? This may be a product. So, um, you know, so we, so we tried to bring a chocolate covered cricket to the market. I, I called up a uh, Chocolodge, which I'm not sure if they're still in Baton Rouge, but they were at the time. 
Uh, and they're like, man, do you know what we spend to keep bugs out of this facility? Vermont? <laughs> no way. So then I called up uh, Elmer's uh, Candies uh, out of Ponchatoula. Uh, and they gave me the same line. Do you know what we spend each month keeping bugs out of this facility? So I said, well, damn, this is tough. So uh, Nobody wants to do chocolate-covered crickets. So then I called up uh, Merlin Candies, which which do the chocolate uh, Easter bunnies. Okay. okay. They're, they're, they're off of Magazine Street in uh, New Orleans. All right. And I said, hey, uh, look, I have a product that I would like to bring to market, but I'd like to talk to you about it in person. <laughs> so, yeah, so I set up a meeting. I drove to to his place, and I brought my catalog of all the Fluker products that I had, all the, you know, the 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 dry product catalog, which probably was about a hundred products at the time. And I said, "Look, man, I'm not crazy. You know, I've got a company, uh, but I want to bring a chocolate covered cricket to the market." And he said, "Hmm." He's like, "Okay, we'll do it, but only during off season. I'm not going to do it while I'm doing chocolate Easter bunnies." I said, "That's fine." So, uh, so we brought that product to market and, uh, you know, we probably did it for 10 years, you know, while the shock value was still there. And, um, uh, you know, one day I get a call from somebody that I'm thinking, uh, it's, it's either a scam or it's the advertising uh, agency from HP, you know, from Hewlett Packard. Okay. Cause somebody calls me up and they said, Hey, you know, we want to do, um, you know, would you test out this, this, this color printer? This was when they were new and color printers were costly and it was, you know, like new technology. I said, sure. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, we'll try it out. And then I told my uh, office staff, I said, look, do not accept any CODs. And lo and behold, the printer came in, we tried it out and it was the HP uh, ad agency. And so, so they wanted to fly me to San Francisco for a week uh, to do a tiny little yearbook picture of me and then a picture of a, of a chocolate-covered cricket. I'm thinking, wow, man, y'all could do this, you know, in Baton Rouge for a fraction of the cost. But yeah, you're right. flying sure, to San Francisco. I'll, sure, I'll come out. Right. So um, you know, so we went up. You know, they wind and dine us a bit. And and there was a, a full ad with with my little yearbook picture and a big chocolate-covered cricket. So, and it, and it was everywhere. It was kind of neat. So I wonder what, what the... That the sales angle was to get chocolate covered crickets was it just because it was the crazy time shock, shock or? value so okay. you know you're looking for something that's going to draw people to the picture and 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 the little caption was you know my browns are browner my greens are greener it was just me talking about how good uh, this printer was okay and uh and, and like i said it was a huge chocolate covered cricket you know the profile of the cricket was was flipped over on its back and it was covered in chocolate with all the legs sticking up and a tiny yearbook of me and, 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 you know, you certainly looked at the ad. Gotcha. Okay. That makes, all right. Now, now I can, I can understand that now. Yeah. So it's just a picture of like the chocolate covered cricket, not necessarily about the printer, just more about the chocolate covered cricket and how you use the printer. Yes. Got it. Yes. Okay. Sorry. So how do you make a chocolate covered cricket? Well, you know, number one, you have to have a licensed kitchen, right? Because <laughs> you got to have the kitchen and the you got to have the licensed kitchen. Right. Right. So, um, you know, so we would take the cricket. It would be baked until it was dry. It's, it smells like roasting nuts. Uh, it's got a pretty pretty decent flavor just, you know, within itself before you add the chocolate. Uh, and then you would put the cricket in a little, you know, a little mold, and then you would pour chocolate over it. Okay. And then we'd wrap the, um, you know, the chocolate in foil. You know, so one of the guys. Oh, man. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Um, you know, so one of the. So one of the oddest comments that I ever got at a trade show was, um, was you know, we're doing a trade show and we're passing out the little full wrap chocolate covered crickets. And, and I had a pet shop customer come back to me. It was uh, Atlantic City and we're on the boardwalk. Okay. And we're, and we're doing a big pet trade show. And he, and he come and the guy comes back to me and he says, man, things weren't so good with my wife last night. And it's your fault. I'm like, I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, when my wife was in the bathroom, I put the little fold wrap chocolate on her pillow, and, and then I turned the bed down and told her it was turned down service. And then after she ate the cricket, uh, she's like, "Man, she didn't talk to me for the rest of the night." I'm thinking, "Well, I got to tell you, you know, I'm taking no responsibility for this one. Right? This you, is on you, you bought dumb the dumb. cricket, you put it in there, you didn't tell it was a cricket. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So that lasted for a, for a decade, you said? About a decade. Yeah." 
That's incredible that you can find a product surrounded by a craze or a fashion or a, a fad basically right and then make that last for a decade like you know it's not like some products that last for one two three four months maybe a year it's like no we've made it last for a decade so why was the why was it cut off um to be honest we were having trouble finding kitchens who would want to make it okay uh, and, it, and, it, and it and it wasn't like really a profit center for us it was just more of, um you know good marketing and, uh, and I think the marketing had had played out uh, by that point. Uh, as a matter of fact, my um, 16-year-old son, when he was probably about 14, you know, came to work with me a few days in the summer, and uh, and he and he and he asked you know the office staff to pull up the cost of of all the stuff, and he wanted to bring it back, right? And he's looking at the cost, and he uh, he's 14. He's 14. Okay. And then he comes to the conclusion. <clears throat> That there's not enough margin in it to bring it back. I'm like, oh, that's my boy. I like it. He's 14. <laughs> you, you, you know you raise him right when I'm 14. Like, hey, Dad, let me look at your cost analysis and break down if it's a, is it worth bringing the product back. Exactly. Well, I, I think that stems from when he was 12. He was out there uh, one time, and um, you know we do this hermit crab line, right? Hermit crab. A hermit crab line. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's an arthropod, so you know it kind of falls in line with what that we do. So that we have a line called uh, Hermit Headquarters, and um, you'll find it at you know the pet shops. It's out there, um, and um, we've got a sand that uh, pretty much simulates beach sand. It's got sand. It's got cocoa peat in it. It has uh, sea salt and things like that. And so, and so my 12 year old was like, Dad, what in the world are we doing buying sand? You know, Dad, you're spending uh, you know twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year buying sand. When you know we can go get it from the riverbank for free, you know at twelve he's thinking, okay, just get you a shovel and it's for yeah, free. Get you a shovel and, and scoop the sand out. Yeah, and I said, well, son, you know what you're not realizing is, you know, there's somebody that owns the sand. Uh, B, it's got to be screened and sifted. I said, you know, for our volume right now, it's just easier for us to buy the sand. But it's a great observation, appreciate it. Uh, but he, but he wrote a little paper up that I still have to this day. That's like, hey, dad, we could save. You know, Wait, 20 he wrote a paper. He wrote a little, yeah, like a couple paragraphs, you know, okay, but, a, yeah. but like a business summary of telling me how to save money. So, uh, and the, and the same kid right now is, uh, is actually, um, working on some insect stuff for me. So it's interesting. I, I find that fascinating. The fact of you've got this, this first generation farm, second generation comes at a, at a young age and now it's like almost ingrained in the children to be entrepreneurial or at least be business minded at, at at least from such a young age. I mean, I just find that absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying and you know, it's a little different because I guess, you know, given my childhood, I think I may have went on the opposite stream of not making my children work yet. So, right. you know, this one comes because he wants to, right. And, and that's uh, key. And that's key. And, and now I have two others that I'm trying to bring to that, to that point um, okay but yeah it's a very uh interesting dynamic uh i do see our um you know flukers going into third gen uh my sister uh has a son my nephew uh he has uh really grabbed the bull by the horns he's doing a lot of projects out there um so so yeah i do see flukers as becoming a third generation family um you know but you do have the family dynamics of you're always family members a family very dynamic. complex. That's so. I come from a family business. My parents own a plumbing company. They're second generation. My brothers are now in it, so it's starting to become third generation. And you do have to be mindful of that. You know, you can either be two types of families: the ones that always talk shop, or the ones that leave work at work. You know, and it's neither saying one is better than the other, but you just have to be cognizant of the fact that there could be one of those dynamics, you know, and it's, you're either going to be always talking shop, always talking business, and that's just the family, you know, and that's what it is. But then the other one of, look, we got to leave business at business, you know, on the weekends, we got to be nice to each other, we're family. So how have you kind of, what what path have y'all gone down and how has yeah. it worked for you? Well, well, sadly, I am bit by the bug, you know, uh, the entrepreneurial bug, as I like to say, uh, entrepreneur. Um, and, you know, I wish I could leave business thoughts behind, but 
you know, I go to bed thinking about them. I'll wake up thinking about them. I just wish I could, you know, this is my go-to place where I can sit on the water. You know, I can look at water. Uh, I can have a cold one. This is kind of when I can slow my mind down. Um, uh, I wish I had a better work-life balance, but I've not achieved it yet. Um, I'm working on it. Okay. I realize I have a problem, which is the first step. <laughs> the first step is realizing there's That's a problem. Right. Um, but um, there's so many things I want to do with bugs. I mean, um, you know, there's another path we're looking at called Soldier Fly Technologies. Where yes, we, I wanted to get into that. Um, you know, but to finish up on the crickets, because I realized we could jump around a lot. Um, over the last several years, I've developed a uh, automated water system, which so far is working fine. Um, I am uh, trying to implement a uh, mechanical feeder, which I believe will work as well. Okay. And so the, the automated watering system is for the insects? It's for the crickets. I'm sorry. Crickets. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Crickets are still our largest insect. Uh, and I find that crickets are too costly to be human food. Um, and plus, I would love to see crickets be a small family farm operation for uh, impoverished countries to where, to where it's like a social good thing to where... They could breed uh, insects that have such fast cycles with so little land, so little water, so little food. Uh, and then you have this this very high protein source, which is, you know, used in breads or pancakes or, or you know, just so many ways to cook it. Right. You know, they don't be thinking that, that you got to eat the insect just as an insect. It may go in a pasta. Um, there's a lot of ways to add that extra value of protein. So have y'all like explored maybe a, a, a cookbook method or a way to cook it and or cook with it in the pasta forms and such? We are working with LSU. Um, uh, LSU is developing the Foodie, uh, which is the Food uh, Innovation Institute, uh, and you know we happen to actually be on their brochure. Okay, um, you know looking at crickets and soldier fly. Um, so you know as the UN put out a report, and I'm bad with dates, but we'll say it was 2015, that the world population is going to be too much and we have to figure out ways to do more uh, alternative sources of protein. Well, guess what's better than almost anything out there? Insects, right? The, the life cycle is so much faster. Uh, the space requirements are so little. The water consumption is so little that, you know, it's just, it's just an incredible uh, alternative protein source. Does that mean that I, at, you know, 57 years of age and I'm dating myself here. Does that mean that I sit there and eat lots of insects? No. Do I eat an occasional insects? Absolutely. I'm, you know, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be experimental and entrepreneurial right. if you didn't. Um, and so, um, but, but I do see it as a way to add to the food system, uh, of the world. And I also see it as a way to, to lift people out of poverty. So I, so I see these two goals and I'm going to shout out to Kevin Langley out there. Uh, oh, Kevin. Yeah, so Kevin Langley and I are working on something that hopefully can bring it to the island of uh, Jamaica. That's that's the goal, to where maybe this system can be implemented uh, and, you know, we can have a way in which we can grow crickets for cheaper because they're too costly. Uh, and at the same time, uh, develop a marketplace for for those families because it's, it's not just going to be them growing crickets and while they can sell them, that's not going to happen. It's right. going to have to be someone to market the end product. Okay. So it's the crickets for a sustainable life outside of just using it for plants. I mean, for, for pets and animals of that nature. It's how can humans utilize insects in a way to better their life? Yes. And you're seeing it now. There's a, there's a huge uh, industry developing. Flukers is not a part of that yet. Uh, you know, we, we still cannot provide enough for the pet market. Once we kind of hit that, um, we will, you know, we'll start going into food. But right now, you know, we're still doing the pet market. You know, we were the um, first people to develop freeze-dried crickets. Um, freeze-dried? Yeah, because okay. there was a time that I would come out here to False River, go to the end of my pier, and dump several hundred thousand crickets into the lake to feed the fish. Because there's no point in wasting them, right? i dump them in there, a fish would go crazy and eat them. Uh, but I'm thinking, man, there's got to be something to do with these crickets that are too old to sell. And I said, damn, we're gonna, we're gonna dry them. We're gonna freeze dry them. And so, uh, you know, we started out with a freeze dry cricket. Um, <clears throat> you know, you'll see our product in, again, 
the big chains. Um, you know, you can even find our product in Walmart. So go to Walmart. Really? Yeah, yeah. And, okay. um, you know, that's what kind of got us into Walmart was that freeze-dried cricket because we were really the first company to do that. And I was able to buy from my uh, competitors because they didn't have an outlet for, for the crickets at the time. And I started buying their surplus crickets. So, and, and what... For the freeze-dried crickets, what actually is that used for? Like, what are the crickets used for once they're freeze-dried? So, so not all animals require movement to stimulate them to feed on a cricket. Uh, if, you, if you take a hedgehog, for example, they'll just eat a freeze-dried cricket. Um, okay. Bearded dragons, um, you know, we have some blends that are pelletized food mixed in with dried insects. A lot of times they'll just pick out the dried insects first, then they'll go to the, to the pellets. Really? So, yeah. So, so, so do you all like have like a, like a test facility where you bring in these animals and you want to test these new products that you're like, you're, you're thinking on, you know, trying to find ways to solve problems? Sure. Let me give a big shout out to uh, LSU and the LSU Vet School. Okay. The LSU Entomology School, the LSU Film School. Uh, you know, man, we try to work with LSU a lot. I love LSU. Uh, again, I graduated from it finally in 89, as we know. Alumni uh, myself. Right. Alumnus myself. But I would love to see my university prosper. And so, you know, we've always tried to fund research. Uh, you know, so we fund research with the LSU Vet School. Um, trying to think how much we do a year. It's, you know, tens of thousands, probably sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year in research with LSU. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, for that, though, we get research. You know, so, so the vet school will help us you know, look at products and say, um, you know, Mark Mitchell uh, is, has always been our lead researcher. And Mark uh, will find, uh, you know, Kim Boykin, shout out to you. Um, you know, you know, we have researchers that, that work with us through the university. So uh, it's a great resource for anybody listening. Uh, if you want a product, uh, and I'm going to give a shout out to a, a former Fluke Reform alum, uh, Hanley Foods. Uh, you know, he has uh, salad dressings, uh, Hanley's. Uh, Richard used to do all our graphic work. And now he has a salad dressing company. Okay. So uh, out of Baton Rouge. Wow. Yeah, I, I love the, when you look at a business, you look at, they're, they're mostly focused on turning a profit as quick as they can, the best way they can. But hearing you talk about the research development side of things, how important that is to keep the business growing is, is really great. More importantly, with how you're using it locally. You know, you're utilizing the, the university's tools at hand and connecting back with them. You're not just, you know, big, building your own research and development department. You're actually saying, hey, LSU's there. They're an institute. The students need something to research. The staff need something to research. Why can't we find a homogenous relationship that works for both of us? And I'm really excited to see that there is something like that happening. It, it works well. And, and you know, you're going to get your biggest bang for your buck. I mean, it's, you know, to hire these smart people costs a lot of money. Right. And so sometimes you have to be a little creative on how you can afford these people. So uh, absolutely, it's a great tool and resource. Uh, I, I love it. You know, I, I went to LSU. I was, I was one of their first graduates in having the entrepreneurship degree. So I got a degree in accounting and a degree in entrepreneurship for a, their pair degree program. So I always want to give back, tell us you as much as I can and try to help them out and figure out ways to intermingle business with the institutional education that they have at LSU. So going from the crickets and the and all those insects, you were, mentioned something about soldier flies. Sure. What what are soldier flies? How do they play a role in the Fluker family? <laughs> so on and so forth. What what is it? So so we have a um a joint venture with another company out of California called Soldier Fly Technologies. Um, so soldier flies are a non-pest fly, so don't think of them like a house fly that light on your food and spread pathogens. These guys look like wasps, they're tree flies. Um, they have these special antimicrobial properties which allow them to take waste food. It could be spoiled waste food, it could be good food, uh, and they can bioconvert that food into um, feed and fertilizer. Um, okay. Okay. And so uh, a fancy word for insect poop is called frass. <laughs> so, um, you know, so once you take waste food, uh, grind it up, dose out the right amount of, um, of soldier fly larva, they will consume that food in about a week. 
Um, and then you're left with larvae to sift out and you're left with frass. And, um, and, and that frass can either be fertilizer or that frass can actually be turned into lots of different things, including um, fish food. It could be made into fish food to feed uh, tilapia or catfish, uh, shrimp. Um, so there's lots of uses. So, so for the past, oh, so go back to 2005. Uh, a good buddy of mine, Fred Gossin, uh, wants to uh, introduce me to a guy that's composting food waste using black soldier fly. Um, I go out uh, to Washington, right outside of Opelousas, and I see his little um, his little compost. I see the big, large soldier fly grub. I said, "Wow, this is a cool insect," but I, but there's no bandwidth to deal with this right now. So uh, I bought the domain soldierfly.com in 2005 and set on it in the early days. And um, good purchase. That's right. So fast forward to 2016. I'm like, okay, it's time to do something with this. So um, we started working with uh, Texas A&M because that was kind of a hub for black soldier fly. Uh, brought it back to the LSU entomology department. Uh, we sought out a PhD student. We hired them from South Africa, brought them in. That's more of that research dollars going in LSU. Um, and, um, and began the journey of soldier fly technologies. And, um, and so now when you look at the company today, um, we joined forces with a California company that, that really had the breeding side of it down. They had it down to a science and art. Um, uh, we started kind of kind of courting a joint venture right around when COVID hit. So it was a very interesting time. Okay. Uh, flew out to California during COVID, which was interesting in itself. Um, I'm sure that the, the flight, the experience, everything the flight was, and the experience was interesting. Was, it, it was all interesting, I got to say. So um, so we toured the facility and uh, you know, they had a team of uh, engineers and a good crew there that just had did everything that I ever dreamed of. I mean, you're talking about uh, AI, you're talking about um, robotic language. Uh, I mean, yeah, we were all speaking the same languages. I could see, you know, like the stuff they did was stuff that I had on my to-do list, but they were doing it. And so it was a perfect marriage. Um, what they lacked though was more on the marketing side where Flukers kind of shines because hey, right now, if you were to uh, go to Walmart or if you were to go on uh, Amazon, you would see the Culinary Coop, which is a Fluker brand. Um, sold in, in all the stores to feed backyard chickens. So, so what soldier flies are is a way to take waste food, which is one of the largest producers of methane gas, um, and you know take it before it turns into methane gas and rots, and bring it back into the food chain. So now what you have is you have a, a, a feedstock to feed animals. Um, and you have frass, which again can be a fertilizer, a soil amendment, uh, or it could be a, a food source in itself. Uh, so, so where we are today on that, we are exploring uh, an opportunity with uh, Break It Down Austin, which is a large waste food collection service in Austin, Texas. Um, they're doing uh, probably about 500 tons a month in waste food, which is 500 tons. Yes. But a month. Right. Um, but our, our model needs to have about, um, 2000 tons a month. So, Oh wow. So we're trying to work through the, the particulars of, of finding where we sit on that. Um, but the soldier fly industry is, is still nascent. Uh, you know, you've had some big players that, that have raised a lot of money. Um, and they haven't, uh, succeeded. And, and I can tell you, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I'm a, I'm a second, you know, a second generation farmer. Um, I'm a business guy and I want to nail it. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we're looking at selling these guys live. We're looking at selling these guys dried. We're looking at selling these guys in, in the components such as you, you can break these guys down into oils and the protein and the chitin and the chitin. There's, there's so many different things you can do with these guys. So, um, so you're, you're looking at it from every single angle. I'm doing my best. Where, where your company can have a share in the market and how you fit into it. Exactly. And there's so many waste streams that people don't even realize. There's so many things going to the dump or the landfill that have a nutritional value 
that that these guys can take and with their special properties with within their gut and their biome i mean they can eat eat bad stuff they can eat pathogens and guess what it's a food source um i mean it's crazy what these guys can do so um so we are currently you know with this project and journey we've been working with uh, the lsu sustainability uh folks and and you know we we actually upcycle the lsu campus food waste okay uh, uh you know we've been doing uh several tons a week with them uh, and we and we do some local people as well. So, thinking my son's about to pull up in the boat. Just thought I'd. I'm hoping. Very nice, very nice. So y'all, y'all, you. From what it sounds like, y'all are always exploring new opportunities, new options to grow the business. You know, you're not just focused on one avenue, right? You're not just focused on the cricket avenue. You're focused on ways to grow the company to make it fourth, fifth, even sixth generation business down the line. Yes, yes, we hope to. Um, yeah, some, some uh, like uh, prime examples are, you know, we were asked by by a large chain uh, to do a semi-moist food, and we did. I mean, it took every ounce of resource we had. We even built a special building to the tune of about eight hundred thousand dollars, which oh, is wow. a lot of money for us. We're not a super big company, but. Um, you know, so we did everything we could to make this happen for them. Um, and and now, you know, you know, we've been asked to make fish food, which is you know, we're, we're, we're more of a reptile company. But we're like, you know what? They want a fish food that contains insects. That's us. So. So, yes. You know, so we're looking for for these different opportunities. And they're and they're there in the world of insects. Again, I've never seen it explode like I have in my lifetime. Uh, I'm currently on the board of uh, of Nausea which stands for North American Coalition of Insect Agriculture. Um, and I've seen this group grow from a tiny little volunteer group to now we've got dues. We're about to hire a, a director. Um, I mean, it's becoming a force. And and if you look at Europe, you know, Europe has IPIF. Um, you know, uh, Asia has a group. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, those guys have a group. So... You know, you can see see the U.S. starting to come within its own and in the world of insects. I mean, it's there's huge opportunities in the world of insects. So, so what do you think has kind of led to this recent explosion of insect development, insect need over the last five years? Uh, alternative protein sources, whether they're for food or feed. Uh, again, you know, the Western society is slowly uh, acclimating to insects as being a food source. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not thinking it's going to be overnight, but it's coming. Um, you know, whenever uh, Chapul would be on Shark Tank, I'm sure we've all seen the Chapul thing. He's got the cricket protein bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a tad too early to the party, but uh, credits to uh, to Patrick, who who I've talked to before because we're insect guys. Um, and, and look, let me uh, stress to people out there, LinkedIn is such a, uh important connection tool because prior to LinkedIn, uh, there's no way I probably could have just – you know, tried to uh, connect with Patrick of the Chapul Cricket Bar uh, and say, hey, Patrick, let's have a conversation. And Patrick's taking my call. Uh, I've got so many people, you know, that will accept my connection and that I can actually have a conversation with them. And in the same way, there was a researcher out of uh, West Virginia uh, that wanted to do some black soldier fly research. And we helped sponsor that as well. And this guy reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, Dave, you know, I'd like to do some research. Can we talk? And I'm actually driving to Foss River and we're having a conversation about his research and how that, you know, we can collaborate and work together. Yeah. I mean, you reached out to me on LinkedIn. I reached out said, to you hey, on LinkedIn. Why am I not on the show yet? Exactly. <laughs> I may be, am I, am I the first guy to ask? No, you're not. Well, that's, that's flattering to know that I, that I, that I wasn't the first. You're, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not the first, but you are one of the very first, you are one of the very first to do it on LinkedIn which excites me from a marketing and actual entrepreneurial standpoint because when, when I think it was probably three or four years ago, back when I was still at LSU, everybody used LinkedIn to get a job. And that's what LinkedIn was for. Post your resume, post about your job experience, the, the, the work you're looking for to do, and that's what you do. But nowadays, LinkedIn has kind of morphed into that professional connection, that professional relationship building platform that it's not just for a job. It's not just to go out and get hired by a company. It's to make 
relationships like you have made every day. Exactly. Um, my team and I actually used a connection from LinkedIn this week. Um, there was a, uh, a Belgium company uh, whose uh, CEO was acquired by a larger black soldier fly company. Um, and this company you know, subsequently hasn't done so well. Um, so that I reached out to him and said, hey, man, can we have some lessons learned? Um, you know, if we ask something you can't tell us, just tell us you can't tell us. But, you know, we'd love to have some lessons learned from, from you know, what you went through. And sure enough, man, my team and I got together. We picked this brain for like an hour and a half. And this is all from a LinkedIn connection for me reaching out to them and say, hey, man, we would love to pick your brain. Would you be so willing? LinkedIn is like the place that people don't realize when you're on the platform, you are business minded. You're not getting on it like another social media platform. When I'm on like Instagram or TikTok, I'm just looking for something to fill my time, you know, maybe make a connection here and there. But when I'm on LinkedIn, it's like, okay, who is on here? Who's within my network that I can reach out to because I need to solve this problem. And that's what their mindset is as well. It's okay, we're business-minded individuals, we're business-minded communities. What can we do to either further our business or make a new connection and help their business go further as well? You don't seem like a TikTok guy, I gotta ask, because <laughs> you know, the few times that I've been on TikTok, it's usually me dancing as a backup dancer for my daughter, and she's just- Wait, you're on follow. TikTok? Uh, I think once or twice, you know, just whenever my daughter asks, Jeez. you know, you gotta be the dad, right? I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. So I am on TikTok. The show is on TikTok. Really? Um, it's at the Patty G Show for those curious to come find us. So what I do with TikTok is a little bit different. I don't do the, the dancing or the, the hoopla or the get into the trends. What we do is we'll take videos from episodes like this. We'll further clip them up into short 15, 20 second clips of like very impactful or humorous clips. And then we'll repurpose them on the platform. So we may take something about you talking about a chocolate cricket and may make it into a 15 second clip that's funny or that's humorous or that's really serious and we'll post on the platform. Because TikTok also is not just for dances. It's not also just for following trends. You can actually put some good educational material on there and the way the algorithm works, people will pick it up so much quicker than if you put it on YouTube or Instagram. So look, let's let's just flip this for one second, okay? Okay. Yeah, you know, you're you're certainly younger than me, right? And um, so let's get your take on social media. What do you think are going to be the most important platforms as we kind of go forward and into the future? In what way, from a personal perspective or from a business perspective? Let's let's stick with business since this is a business show. I, I I think there's going to be three major platforms. Well, Realistically, all of them, but if I had to rank them, I think LinkedIn's gonna be huge. I think LinkedIn is gonna be massive from a business perspective because what other platform gives you the ability to DM or to message a CEO of a Fortune 500 company like that? And right. have them look at it. From a business perspective, LinkedIn is huge. It's already huge. And if you're not on it and you're not doing stuff with LinkedIn, you need to be. Would agree wholeheartedly. From a, a marketing perspective, the next few platforms all depend on your plan, all depend on your marketing plan. If you are a construction company, TikTok and Instagram are huge. TikTok and Instagram, because they have IG Reels and TikTok's a short form video. You can make short form little videos of different projects that you're working on and they'll blow up because of how people consume that content. If you're a lawn company, you need to be on TikTok. It's time for Flugers to get a TikTok, so Flugers, note to self, appreciate it. I, I don't think we have one. I'm not I, aware I would, of it. So for, for, for y'all, the TikTok would be, I would, it would have to sit down and see and say, where can TikTok fit in? Now, when you come to your reptiles and your actual cricket process, you're gonna be better in a long form. So you'll be better on an IGTV or um, YouTube. So you're gonna be better performing in the long form. However, there could be some different avenues within the company that TikTok would be well on. Again, LinkedIn for me is ranked first. Every other platform after that all depends on the marketing strategy and how well the content can be crafted around that strategy.
Uh, and I'm going to assume that uh, IGTV is Instagram. Yes. I had to think about it. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, okay, what the hell is IGTV? So Instagram has various different video methodologies. One of them is IG Reels, Instagram Reels. So it's short, no longer than 60 seconds. IGTV is over the 60 second mark, is more of a long form. I think you can go up to five or 10 minutes. I'm not sure on the exact requirements, but it is a longer form is video. Is it on the same platform though, same like platform. Instagram? Okay. Yeah, so like if okay. you go on like at the Patty G Show on Instagram, okay. you will see we've got our homepage on Instagram. That's just our plain posts. Then you'll see we've got our IGTV, which is our long form three minute plus clips. Then you'll see we have reels, and on the reels, it's all short form stuff. So like Cody, the first time he did makeup, showed up with a cotton ball, and it started tearing off in my beard, and it was hilarious. And so I took that clip and posted it on IG Reels, and I posted it on TikTok, and it was just a funny, humorous, short little clip. Nothing really to do with the content of the show, but it was still from a marketing standpoint of getting the show's name out there. You didn't mention YouTube, so you, you, YouTube's long form. So the, these, okay. so the video, so the podcast is filmed on the on the bigger cameras in long form. That's then gone back and edited to pop back and forth between your angle, and my angle, and so forth. Wow. This man's killing He's it. A beast. Um, Thank go you, back Brian Payneburn. To and from and so forth. YouTube is your long form content. So if you're going over a new product or you're going over how to how to clean an iguana's cage, or how to take care of crickets, how to raise the cricket farms. We've got those. Well, that's Thank what I'm you. saying. So Appreciate it's, the uh, it's more subliminal long form. Right. It's, promo. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's more of a long-form perspective on YouTube. So all the 55-minute interviews from the show are on YouTube as well, but that's the full form. YouTube, They've tried to add in stories and add in clips. I haven't experimented with that yet, so I can't attest as to how well it works. But YouTube, if you've got something that's going to be a long form or even a vlog, anything 10 minutes plus, that's where you want to use YouTube. So if you're going either an instructional video, a how-to, or a, you know, this is how we do it at Fluker. Do it the Fluker way. Then you can have a whole series of videos on YouTube. But you then take the long form and clip it up to then cross post to all the other platforms. So where's your largest following at? Where do you, where do LinkedIn. you? LinkedIn, huh? Well, TikTok first, LinkedIn second. So give me some TikTok numbers because I'm so not familiar with TikTok other than dancing once or twice. Numbers how? Like a reach? Yeah, so like what's your largest view of a video? 195,000 views. Damn, cheers to you. It sounds it was, impressive. It, it, was, uh, it was us doing a pizza eating contest at Fat Boys in Baton Rouge. <laughs> okay. Did you did you win the contest? Because I've actually no, seen I, it. I, I, I saw a guy lost. start out I pretty lost. strong, and I'm like, well, i tell you what, man, he's a big boy. But then as he got to the end, it's like you could see the pain and the... My, my, my advice, if you do the pizza challenge, don't start from the crust. I did the crust first, and it was awful. It ended poorly. <laughs> Also, don't drink a beer before you start. That was also a downfall of me, was I had a beer before I started the pizza, and I just got so full so fast. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, TikTok is interesting. But we've got we've to start winding the show down, otherwise we'll keep talking on for the rest of the evening, which we can. we'll do later. You got it. <laughs> so we have four, a four-set list of questions we like to ask everybody okay. when I come on the show. The first one is, what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? lift that heavy weight that I did as a kid. I always lifted weights and I like, I find really as I get older, it's, it's getting less and less. Yeah. So you're like a weightlifter. Uh, yeah. Me and my friends, we spent a lot of time in the gym and that's what, that's what we did. Okay. I, I got into weightlifting and all that in, in college. And then I slowly started doing other business things on the side and weightlifting kind of went to the wayside. No roids, you know, it was always natural, oh, yeah, yeah. natural but, but of course. it was, uh, you know, I really enjoyed the powerlifting aspect as a kid. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. What are uh, what are three lessons you've learned along the way? Wow, interesting. Um, one lesson is family businesses should have a structure so that everybody kind of knows how it flows and the way the process works. 
Um, that's a lesson that I've learned. Um, can I tell you what that perfect structure is? No, you know, we're trying to go for it. actually begin that process now so there aren't issues going down the road. So that's one lesson that I've learned is to, is to have a structure within a family business. Um, another lesson that I've learned is, you know, there just aren't enough hours in a day. And, um, you know, I've had the, and I don't want to tear up, but I've had the joy and the, you know, I've got to experience motherhood because my wife passed away at a, at a very you know, young age with my kids and I'm tearing up a little bit. Hardest job I've ever had in my entire life. Hardest job. Fatherhood breeze. There was a time I would like, you know, call up uh, the dad and go, hey, can little so-and-so do what? Oh, I, I don't know. Let me ask his mom. Okay. Yeah, so you learn very quickly. The dad knows nothing. The mom knows everything. And, 100%. Uh, and when guys think that it's an easy job, I mean, you're on 24-7. You're doing a kid count as you're, you know, corralling. Hardest job I've ever had in my life. Motherhood, as close as I can experience it. Um, extremely hard job. Um, third, let's think of the third. Life lessons. Um, you know, you're going to feel that light bulb growing dim before you know it. Um, and I'm still a workaholic. Wish I wasn't. Uh, you know, but every now and then, I got to wipe the tears, sorry. Uh, every now and then, you know, stop and smell the roses because, um, you know, you find your energy levels begin to slowly deplete the older you get. It's, it's hard to explain, uh, but I certainly um, don't enjoy things at 57 that I did in my 30s. Uh, so I'm finding things that, that, I, that I like to do sometimes are now becoming a little bit of a chore just because it's, it's you know, so really take time to smell those roses while that you're young uh, and don't be a workaholic like me. <laughs> That's, I, I love all three of those. Um, so you've, I've heard a lot about False River and I picked you up in Port Allen today, but what do you love about Louisiana as a whole? As a whole, I love the culture, I love the people, I love the food, I love how we're so green. Uh, green as in, you know, I go to Arizona, it's desert. Um, there's green everywhere here. I love water. Like if I see water, I want to swim in it. I just, you know, I've jumped into lots of different swimming areas at different parts of the country. I just love water. I love how that our state has so much of it. Um, you know, I just find that we're a, a very friendly culture. Uh, I love to see it. And what I love about Foss River is, you know, water, uh, it's got a tendency to slow my mind down, to just bring me to a place that I want to be. And it's kind of my happy place. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm out on my deck um, and we're just sitting out there and I'm just viewing the water, it's like I'm on the water. Even if I'm not floating in a boat, I still feel like I'm on the water. So that's what I love about Falls River. I, lo I love that, man. I, I love being on the water as well, so I can definitely relate to that. And for the final question, what can I do to help you? Um, you know, you just were a very big a stress reliever tonight. As you, as you know, we were uh, dealing with a cheer issue. On the, this is that motherhood coming again here, right? right. Yes, I'm dealing with a with a cheer <laughs> uh, permission form on the way up here that, that uh, had some flaws in it. So, uh, again, guys... Love your wives. It's, they do way more than you can ever imagine in your in your in your life. Um, but you know, this has been a very good you know, stress reliever. Uh, well, good. I, I uh, enjoy discussing business, uh, and I really uh, enjoyed your take on social media. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to have you on. I'm glad you reached out to me to make this make this happen. Um, so thank you, David, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody else, whether you're watching live or you're watching this post-production. I really appreciate it. I know the guests do as well. Um, this has been the latest rendition of the Patty G Show. But before we go, big shout-out to our wonderful sponsors, Falaya Real Estate. They're a local-based web, a mobile application that will transform the way that you sell your homes. If you're looking in the market to buy or sell with how hot the real estate market is, give Barrett Blondo a call at Falaya. Tell him the Patty G Show sent you. He's going to take care of you every step of the way. And also to Government Taco. They've got a new taco every month. They've got Margarita Mondays, which means you're going to get specials on Mondays. And Thirsty Thursday, you've got happy hour all day. So go over to Government Taco. Tell them you heard about them on Patty G Show. And they'll be sure to take care of you. 
Well, thank you all very much. This has been a fun episode of the Patty G Show with David Fluker from Fluker Farms. Everyone, you'll have a lovely evening. I'm Patty G, host. Good night. Good night.